You know, one of my most enjoyable moments as a dad, growing up, when my kids were growing up, were the times when they would come to me and they would ask me for help. They would ask me to solve a problem or they would ask me about something they needed, but they would orient themselves to me in such a way that I was the only solution for them. I like that because when I was able to provide the solution or give them the answer or meet their need, I appeared to be a genius or a hero. And I, I like that moment. And the reason I like that so much as a dad is because I knew that in those moments that they oriented their lives to me as an answer to something they needed, that I had an avenue to their hearts. I could guide them and encourage them. I knew I had their trust and their interest. Really, ultimately, the reason I love those moments in light of the Scripture is because I know there is a much more significant authority in their lives that every time I got to orient their lives to my authority over them, I was giving them a glimpse to something that would really answer a much more significant problem that they were coming to me to solve. It gave them an opportunity to see that there is someone Available to them who can answer the need of their hearts. It's an opportunity to orient them to someone far more significant than me. You think about the book of Revelation and what we've talked through so far. We just finished the letters to the churches. There were seven churches that received a specific letter to those churches. And John conveys this message from Jesus to each of those churches. And at the end of chapter 3, John conveys to the church at Laodicea Jesus' invitation to the church at Laodicea. He's saying, behold, I stand at a door and I'm knocking. And if you open that door, then I'm going to come in and we're going to sit down and eat a meal together like a meal with a close friend. He's inviting them to the process of repentance and confession of sin and the experience of that with the kindness and goodness of Christ is likened unto a meal with a very close friend. And so Jesus is inviting the church to, to open this door. Interestingly enough, the very next thing that John sees, we read in Revelation chapter 4. Let's read that together. Revelation chapter 4. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door opened in the heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, as a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what is necessary to take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne standing in the heaven. And upon the throne was one seated, and the one seated had an appearance like a stone of jasper and sardius. And a rainbow all about the throne was an appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones were twenty-four elders sitting who had been clothed with white garments, and upon their heads were crowns of gold. And from the throne came strikes of lightning and sounds and thunders. 
And seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was a sea, a glassy sea like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes all around. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature was like a calf, and the third living creature had a face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like an eagle flying. And the four living creatures, each one, had six wings full of eyes all around. They never rested day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanksgiving to the one who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one who sits upon the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, because you created all things, and on account of your will they exist and were created. John looks and he sees a door. And the door is actually already open. And he walks through that door and he sees a throne and one seated upon the throne. And the one seated upon the throne he attempts to describe. Now you note that the description here of the one on the throne is very different than the description we saw in Revelation 1 of Jesus Christ in all His glory. We saw the eyes full of flames of fire. We saw the sword coming out of His mouth. We saw the stars, the seven stars in His right hand. We saw Him having a golden sash around His chest. We saw His feet with bronze. We saw this amazing picture of Jesus Christ but now when John walks through this door he sees a throne in the heavens and on the throne he describes the one seated there in this array of colors he says it's like a jasper stone like this diamond I can't explain it except to tell you that it just was this clear vision of what would be looking like at a diamond what it would be looking like at a at a sardius stone this blood red colored stone and then around the throne was this halo of rainbow that was predominant in the color of green and so John is attempting to describe to us what he's seeing about the one seated on the throne and he can't put it into words except to describe colors he's describing the one who dwells in inapproachable light that no one can see and no one has seen he's describing the glory of God the glory of God that he's been enabled to see so that he might describe God's glory to us he sees the glory of God. 
And seeing the glory of God, we see in this picture that John is describing the centrality of God's glory. And how he is at the center of everything. And everything in this scene is focused on him. John anticipated going through the door and seeing what would happen after these things. Seeing the end of times. And when he walked through that door, what he saw was the glory of God. That's where we're headed. The end of all things is the glory of God. John walks through that door and sees this picture, this representation of God's glory. And he sees there around the throne, these 24 thrones. And on them seated 24 elders. Now what in the world is that? Jesus gives us a clue in the Gospel of Matthew. He talks to his disciples and he tells the disciples that 12 of you will be seated on a throne with me in glory. We get another clue later in Revelation chapter 21 when we hear the description of the city of God. The city of God had had walls around it and on those walls were 12 gates. And each of those gates had a name. And each one of those gates was named after one of the tribes of Israel. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 gates, 12 names. And on the walls around the city of God were foundation stones. There were 12 foundation stones. And on each one of those stones was written the name of one of the apostles. 12 foundation stones, 12 apostles, 12 names on those stones. You put all that together, I think what we've got going on here, we see these 12, these 24 elders around the throne. We have a representation of the church. The church is gathered around the the throne of God. Giving glory to God. Because that's the end of what we are created to do. God in display of His glory, surrounded by the 24 elders, which represent the Old and New Testament, the people of God, gathered around the throne. And look at what they're saying. The 24 elders are saying before the throne, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and who was and who is coming. They are exclaiming the holiness of God that He is not like anything else in all of creation because all of creation comes from Him. He is right in all He does, just in all He determines. He is perfect in all His ways. He is holy and for Him, one holy is simply not sufficient. No, He is holy God the Father. He is holy God the Son. He is holy God the Spirit. He is not like anything else. He is the source of everything else. He's holy. He's the Lord God Almighty. This is a phrase that's used to describe God several times in Revelation, the Almighty. Every time in Revelation we see this title of God, it is a title meant to capture our hearts in the recognition and security that God is sovereign over all creation. That He is the one who orchestrates everything. That He is the one that started it. He is the one who will finish it because He is the one that is due the glory of all of it. He is the Lord God Almighty. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He is the source of everything. He is the living one. He is the one who lives forever. We're going to see that repeated through this this vision. He's the one who lives forever. He's the one who lives forever. This is our understanding of where we get life and purpose. He is our source of everything that matters, everything that satisfies, everything that fulfills. He is the one who is, 
who was and is to come. There is no one like him. And he is worthy of our worship. Then John sees these four living creatures surrounding the throne. And I can't imagine what this would look like. These four living creatures, what are they? You remember when I told you several months ago about the mysteries of God? That there are some mysteries, particularly in the book of Revelation, that Jesus will make clear to us. And we'll be excited about knowing with confidence what those mysteries really are. There will be some mysteries in Revelation that we simply will just do the best we can to speculate as to what they are. Pulling together the confidence that we have from Scripture and coming to conclusions that give us our best understanding of that mystery. And then there are some mysteries in Revelation that we simply have no idea what they are. We have no clue. I want to remind you that the mysteries that are revealed The mysteries that we can make some conclusion on based on Scripture and the mysteries that are simply remaining mysteries are all serving the same purpose. What we know in the mystery points to the great mystery revealed in Christ, the Gospel. Every revealed mystery in the book of Revelation points us clearly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every mystery we try to understand the best we can points to Christ, and every mystery we cannot know this side of heaven points us to the one who holds the mysteries in his hands because we can trust him that we will know what we should know, what we need to know. And in knowing him, we know the one who knows all. So what are the four living creatures? I have no idea. They're just four living creatures. And they're surrounding the throne. Now, now it's interesting that they have some features that John points out, like a lion and a calf, a man and an eagle. Just might be that these four living creatures are representation of all created beings. It stands to make sense when you've got what represents the church and what you've got all other created beings. Everybody is there worshiping God because God is worthy of all glory, and he will get his glory. These four living creatures are before the throne saying, worthy are you. Worthy are you. Worshiping the Lord. This whole scene that John walks into gives John the clear picture that we all are created to worship God. Every single one of us were created by God. He created us by His will. We exist. He fashioned us. He is worthy of all glory. So just put this together in your heart and mind right now. God created us. He is worthy of all glory. Doesn't it stand to reason that Him creating us, He would create us to actually glorify Him? He's worthy of all glory. He created us. We were created to worship Him and we see the vision of the end times as being a display of everything that was made creating God just like it was created to worship Him. We were created to worship Him. 
That's what satisfies us. That's what fulfills us. There's nothing more satisfying than living a life of worship to God because that's what we created to do. He fashioned us to give Him glory that is due His name. And we find our satisfaction in being who we are created to be when we glorify Him. That's how He designed it. But we got a big problem. We've messed it up because we have departed from God's design. God made me to glorify him with all that I am. And that's how I find fulfillment and satisfaction in being who God made me to be. But I have departed from that design and I have sinned against God. And my sin against God has bankrupt my soul and separated me from him so that now I can never get the satisfaction of full fulfillment that God created me to experience by glorifying him as he's created to be glorified, as he intended to be glorified by his creation. So I am in a mess of hurt. I've got a significant problem. No matter what I try to do in my life to find fulfillment and satisfaction, I will find that it always leaves me wanting more. I think I may want this and I go after and I get this and I find, well, that's not what I really wanted. Because I still find want at work in my heart. See, I'm broken on the inside because of sin and I cannot experience what I was created to experience in glorifying God with everything I am because I am sinful and I have rebelled and turned against God. But God, in His goodness, in creating me to worship Him, knowing that we would break our design by our own sin, created a solution for us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that if we place our faith in Him, we would experience forgiveness of sin and new life. Here's what God did. He says, I'm going to put a door in front of every single one of you. And that door is going to be wide open for you. Jesus said it like this, I am the door, John 10. He who enters through me will be saved. Jesus Christ created an invitation for each one of us to be restored to the design for which God made us. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven of our sins. And the Spirit of God is sent to dwell with us so that we have God with us every moment, the rest of our lives, to help us move towards restoring our lives to God's design. So that every single day in our lives, we get to be restored a little bit more to living for the glory of God, that which we are created to live for. And we get to experience a little bit more of what it means to be full in Christ. It's amazing what God has done for us by giving us an open door of invitation to experience forgiveness of sin and a restoration to His design. And we get to live in that every day, this side of heaven, with the anticipation that one day Jesus Christ is coming and He will make every wrong right and He will clean us up once and for all and we will forever worship Him with all that we do, all that we say, all that we think, being fully satisfied in Him while we fully glorify Him because He's made us brand new. That's where we're headed. And every day we get to experience a little bit more and more of that. 
as long as we're striving towards restoration. As long as we're striving towards recovering our design. The door is open for every one of us every single day to enter into communion with Christ and let Him lead us through recovering design. How He made us to live for His glory. What we need to do every single day is reorient our lives, orient our lives to who God is and what God says. Do you realize, you may know this about me already, you may have been able to figure out a little bit of this along the way, I've spent a lot of years studying the Bible. A lot of years. I've been a follower of Christ now for 40 years. I've been spending hours and hours every week studying God's Word for almost three decades. I've memorized several books of the Bible. I've memorized countless long passages and verses of the Bible through the years. I've invested so much of my life in knowing this book. So what? It doesn't matter one bit when it comes to what I need every day. You know what I need every day? I need to open this book every day. I need to let who God is and what he says reorient my heart and my mind to him. It doesn't matter how much I've read this, how much I know this, how much I've studied this. I need every day to reorient my heart and my mind to who God is and what God says. I can't live without that. Because here's what happens. If I don't do that, if I don't create that pattern in my life so that regularly I am reorienting my heart and mind to who God is and what God says. You know what I do? I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for. I don't know what I'm supposed to be aware of. I don't know what I'm supposed to be seeing in my everyday life. Think about this. God created everything. He's the Lord Almighty. He orchestrates everything. Don't you believe, don't you think that in all of what's happening around you every day, God's orchestrating moments for you to see Him everywhere around you so that you are oriented to who He is and can worship Him for what He's doing. He is actively at work in everything around us and we simply don't know what to look for if we're not orienting our lives to who He is and what He says. We won't know. You know when John walked through that open door in the heavenlies and he saw this amazing scene of the 24 elders and the throne of God and the glory of God and the four living creatures? Did you know? We, we don't know what he thinks in that moment, but I suspect that it had to be something like this. Wow. This is what it meant. Now, why would he say that? This is what it meant. Because somewhere along his life, I can guarantee you this. As a boy raised in a Jewish home, he read Ezekiel 1. You know what Ezekiel 1 talks about? The throne of God, the glory of God, and the four living creatures. He'd read it. He'd imagined it. He'd have wondered what it would be like. And then he was invited through the door, and he saw it. He saw a glimpse of God's glory. And don't you know it made him want to worship God? 
Listen, if you will orient your life and your heart to who God is and what God says regularly in your life through reading God's Word and praying, you're going to have the same experience. You're going to read in God's Word that He is faithful to hear the cries of His people. And you're going to find yourself crying out to Him on behalf of a friend that needs to see the Lord work in his or her life. And you're going to see God answer that prayer. And all of a sudden you're going to realize what I read about. This is what it meant. And now I'm seeing a glimpse of the glory of God. And I want to worship Him. You, you want to live a life of worship? Then just orient your life again and again to who God is and what God says. And you'll begin to see glimpses of His glory all around you because He is unveiling Himself in all that He's created because all that He has created is intended to worship Him. And creation's still crying out to the glory of God. And if we just know what to look for by orienting our lives to who He is and what He says, we will see glimpses of Him and we will be moved to worship. And we are moved to worship. It changes our lives. Do you know what happens when I don't read God's word and create this pattern in my life? I am quick to forget who God is. I mean, sin in my life, you know what sin does in me? Sin in my life makes me forget who God is and begin to act and think that I'm God. That's what happens. And then I begin to think and do the most irrational, ridiculous thing. It'd be kind of like if I said to you, I am really, really hungry today. I mean, I haven't eaten in several meals. Um, I've, I've had a lot of stuff going on. I just skip meals to get it done, and I am so hungry. I cannot wait to get home tonight because I'm going to eat some cardboard. You'd be like, you are weird. What are you talking about? If I said to you, I am so exhausted, I'm tired, I haven't slept good in three days, I am so tired. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to drink five little vials of five-hour energy and stay up for 36 more hours. Be like, you've lost your mind. If I said to you, hey, our house is really dirty right now, it's not very clean, we're having some people over tonight, we kind of need to straighten it up, so here's what I'm going to do. When I get home, I'm going I'm to douse my Labradors in water, I'm going to get them to roll in the dirt and get real dirty, and then I'm going to open the door and call them in the house and let them jump on the furniture. You're like, what is wrong with you? When we do not orient our lives to who God is and what God says, you're so quick to forget He is worthy of all glory. And we are made to glorify Him. And we will find ourselves saying things like, I just haven't spent time reading my Bible lately because I've been so busy. What? What? Are you serious? That sounds like a hungry man eating cardboard. No, what we should say is, I've been so busy that if I don't orient my heart to who God is and what God says, my tendency will be to think that I can do my life just fine on my own by getting all the things done on my to-do list. But here's the thing, it didn't work that way. We weren't made to accomplish tasks by our own strength. We are made to give glory to God. 
What we need to be saying is, I am so busy, I cannot afford not to orient my heart and life to who God is. Because in the busyness that is my life right now, I want to glorify God in this and that and this and all the things before me. In order to do that, I must orient my heart and mind to who He is. So I have got to get in the Word of God and spend a little time praying. I'm so angry right now at my friend. I don't even feel like coming to church because I'm going to see him. That's like saying to the tired man, drink more five-hour energy. No. We're angry at a friend. What we need is to be before the Lord so he can reorient our mind and heart recognizing that we have been forgiven of far greater things than our friend has done to us. And now we can, from that standpoint, instead of move forward in hatred and anger, we can move forward in grace, compassion, and forgiveness. Because we will see we are made to give glory to God. And being angry at my friend does not glorify God, does not satisfy me. And I want the Lord to work in me when I'm sad, when I'm broken, when I'm frustrated, when I'm happy and everything's going great. What I must continue to do is create a pattern of orienting my heart and mind to who God is and what God says because he is leading me on a path of recovering my design. I am made to glorify God. That's who we are. That's who you are. You know what happens when you live that life? You begin to see God work in you and through you. You see things happen that could not ordinarily happen. You see things from a vantage point that gives you a different perspective on things that you would never see. You see difficult things and challenging things and you find a way to thank God for them. You see challenges before you that you walk into and you overcome. You see sin that you once were racked by and ripped by. You overcome and experience victory. You have all these moments of seeing God work in the worst of times and the best of times. You know what you do? You come out of that and you say, these are the crowns of being restored to the glory of God through Jesus Christ and I'm going to take all these crowns I'm going to lay them before the Lord because everything he does in your life as he restores you is like this crown he puts on your head for his glory. And you discover in those moments, these are crowns that really he deserves. I'm going to give it back to him. And so all the things he's doing in your life, they give you all these reasons for confidence and excitement and thankfulness and fulfillment and satisfaction become the very things that drive you to worship God more. And then you just get caught. And it's an amazing experience of living a life of worship. Now, doesn't that sound like a life we were created to live? So let's live it. The door is open. Jesus Christ has invited you to live a life of worship. Now and forever. And as you live this life. Remember, he's placed you around people who need you to point out the door of Jesus Christ. Live a life of worship. Help others do the same.